Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. December 2021, a podcasting duo set themselves a mission to watch and review all four of the films in the Dirty Dozen franchise. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dirty Dozen December on Fighting on Film. Hello and welcome back to the final instalment of Dirty Dozen December. We've made it, everybody. This is number four. Hooray! This is Dirty Dozen Four. Franchise murder on the Orient Express. Or, or as it was known when it was released, Fatal Mission. I think my title's better. I think it is. <laughs> I think you know, Helen Saint-Marche was brilliant. This is quite the film. Um, mm. So yeah, this is number four. Uh, this is Telly's second outing as Major Wright. And we're going back in time, which is a bit strange. So this is pre-D-Day. And yeah. this is the only Dirty Dozen film not set in occupied France. It is. But before we get into that, just before we start, we want to say a huge and absolutely monumental thank you to everyone who donated in our crisis fundraiser. We just can't thank you guys enough. Absolutely. You raised over £300 and that money is going to be used in so many good ways for, you know, for people less fortunate than ourselves over Christmas time. £323 for crisis. I, yep. We put in a target of £50 hoping that you know, everyone to chip in two pound, but the level of generosity, astonishing. And I'm, I'm humbled. I really am. I, I can't believe it. Man for man, the best listeners around. I agree. It's, what, it's so nice to have a community that is willing to donate like that. It humbling. Just, yeah. I was so pleased. I, and we did, we did the draw on Monday, uh, the 20th, you know, two winners, uh, Andy and Mary. And 
this episode is dedicated to everyone who donated, shared on social media. This is for you, basically. It's just our way of saying thank you. So should we dive into Day Dozen Four? I think we should. So this one starts in Denmark, 1943, which completely throws off the canon, the timeline of these Dirty Dozen films, which isn't something I thought I'd care about very much. But when you're four movies in, you tend to pick up on To be honest, I thought we were going to get some backstory. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. I thought it was a flashback. And we did kind of. We got a little bit of backstory. It's a little tiny bit, but it's not. But then it doesn't jump forward. Well, it turns out that uh, Major Wright is originally a ranger because all those chaps uh, are badged up as rangers. They are. Uh, I don't think rangers landed in Denmark at any point in 1943. There's um, an uber-secret uber rangers operation. Very secret ranger mission. They go there and to meet up with a, a German naval officer who's on Admiral Conaris's staff, and he's going to give them a secret that's very important. But before he, he can share this secret he's yes. gunned down by a patrol well it's two lads in a kubelwagen yeah yeah it, it is and they take out this kubelwagen with with a grenade that is nuclear in proportions but as he's dying he says to telly looks up at major right telly savalas and he says 2420 in german and and telly's like what what does that mean what the hell does that mean smash cut to liverpool it's not fucking Liverpool, is it? It's Zagreb. <laughs> it's Zagreb. Why is the Jeep so dirty as well? Anyway, so they're driving through, air quotes, Liverpool. It's an exposition car ride, as I like to call them. Uh, they're travelling, getting a bit of backstory, and then they come across a brawl. Is apparently important to the plot. And Telly gets out and says, I'm going to arrest these two guys because they look handy and they might be useful for a dirty dozen mission. Um, which doesn't make sense because he's just been on a mission with rangers who aren't... Yep criminals so it wasn't a dirty dozen mission no why is he thinking in that mindset why doesn't he just think he's going to go into his next mission with his rangers exactly and before we go any further i think we should cover the production a little bit fine we won't continue into this mire of a plot okay well it's a bit of a mire isn't it like (laughs) yeah if we could numb the if we go into the details we'll go insane because it's just so much that doesn't make sense yeah i just wanted to get into as much of it as possible but no you're right we should stick to stick to the layout normal stick to the format so this one was directed by Lee H. Katzen, who did the previous film, uh, Dirty Dozen Deadly Mission. Uh, it's filmed on location again in Yugoslavia, with some shooting in Zagreb. Written by Mark Rogers, um, who wrote Dirty Dozen Deadly Mission as well. Uh, he also goes on to write the TV series of the Dirty Dozen, um, which came out. Can't in, wait like... to cover that next week. <laughs> no, there's <laughs> twelve episodes. No, and he also he also wrote some Kojak, so there's a little connection with. Savannah's oh, that's there. nice. Okay. Well, he, he took a nap on this one, didn't he? Mm, mm, exactly, he did, yeah. Uh, same producer as well, Mel Swope, uh, came out on NBC in February of 1988. Um, and Jarden Film or Yarden Film were involved again. A lot of the same crew. I think there's a lot of behind-the-camera crew that have returned. Special effects-wise, we've got Martin Gutteridge, who worked on everything from Lawrence of Arabia to Operation Crossbow to Here is a Telemark, The Eagle Has Landed, Hope and Glory. Uh, he worked on the previous film, Dirty Dozen 3, Helen St. Michelle, um, and a lot of the Hornblower series as well. So oh, wow. he, was, he was very prolific and, and very good at what he did. Yeah, because that's one thing I think the film does have going free good effects and good set goodish set pieces 
I think the set pieces and and the you know the larger scale firefights are a little bit better done. It just feels a little bit less clunky, but then that ending, which we will come to, Crikey, yeah. um, does go quite ham. It does, doesn't it? So I've actually got a retro review of sorts this week. I couldn't find anything from the original release date. It just mm. seems that there's barely anything out there from the original date. But I did find a small write-up of the movie when it was repeated on um, ITV in the UK. Um, so the Daily Mirror reported. Chronic rehash of the classic 60s war movie with the US Army's convicted rapists and killers confusingly led by Officer Telly Savalas. A lady is along for the ride too, and the unconvincing action takes place aboard the Orient Express. Not at all good. One star. Anyway, join us next week, because that's done the job for us, hasn't it, really? Happy New Year. Oh my God, yeah, that is, that's succinct is the word for that isn't it um really is we do get a lady this time heather thompson along for the mission yeah we do and she's supplemented by another um female resistance leader do you want to run us through the cast rob yeah sure so obviously as mentioned you've got telly and ernest borgnine come back um you've got jeff conway sergeant holt he's your mp or he's your um jekyll character the holt's character has de-aged by about 30 years yeah exactly that's the issue with this one why did they keep the character names? Exactly. Why? So this is where it becomes confusing. So obviously there's so little right, written up about these movies. So whether people, they can't retain them on contracts or they're busy or whatever. It's just, mm. it's one of the mysteries. So we have a, another returning character, but not actor. So Joseph Stern is back. Um, he was your your Jewish um, migrant uh, American character in the last movie. Yeah, hates Nazis, fought in hates Spain, etc. Et yeah. He's played by Hunt Block. I mean, I thought it was a made-up name, but it's, he's a real actor. One of his biggest credits to date is he was a, the president in the Angelina Jolie film Salt. Oh, okay. Um, we've got um, a character called Draco Demchuk, played by Alex Cord. Uh, he was um, Archangel in Airwolf. Oh, another Airwolf connection. Okay. Airwolf connection there. Okay, yeah, I see yeah, what's yeah, going yeah. on here. I know Matt's a, a, a bit of a fan of Airwolf. Yeah, I've, I've watched it after a couple of drinks very late at night once or twice. Get me pleasure. Yeah. So we have a Carmine Degastino played by Eric Estrada, and he was in he was in Chips. So he played um, Ponch. The other half of Chips. The other half right of there. Chips. Took Last week we had to get the there. blonde dude, and this week yeah. we've got the other half of the, of the Chips, the, the duo. There you go. Look at that. I mean, by that by that point, he'd be quite well known. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, these are big names. They're still big names. Why? TV why is he so underused? It's weird. This is the issue. This is the issue. We'll get back to. So you have got Fred Collins. He's your posy type character. He's played by John um, Matuzak, and he he won two Super Bowls um, in 1976 and 1980. But we have a character called Tom Ricketts, played by Ray Mancini, and he was a, a lightweight um, lightweight champion boxer in the 70s. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. He's the the sidekick of the big dude. That's it. Yeah, so yeah. So they put the two sportsmen together, I guess, on that one. They do. And then we have possibly the biggest name on the billing. And it's quite um, prominent because at the moment there is another Ghostbusters movie out. Um, we've got Ernie Hudson, one of the OG Ghostbusters, playing a character called Joseph Hamilton. And he's woefully underused in the entire film. He, Yeah, he is. Um, he's built up kind of at the beginning, isn't he? Like he's yeah. going to be used more. And then other than a scene where he's shot, there's not a lot going on with him. And he's a good action hero. He looks good in the kit. He, he's good mm -hmm. in the role. I thought he'd have a lot to do, but... As we'll, as we'll talk about in a bit, they, they don't really get much to do. The rest of the dozen are sort of just barely used at all. 
Well, they aren't even introduced. There's not even a do- real dozen, really. You think no, about it, it's no. about five um, that you see. And it, the film kind of assumes that we know these people, uh, or it yeah. tries to fool us into thinking we've been introduced or we know who they are. Mm. The training sequence is, you know, snap your fingers and it's over. It, yeah, it's here's some chaps doing bayonet drill, mm. jumping out of a plane. That's it. Yeah, exactly. It just lacks. When you compare that, though, to Dirty Dozen 1, the, the, the OG, two-thirds of the movie is training, character building. And then by the time we get to Dirty Dozen 4, we're getting literally maybe like 15 minutes mm. with these people. Because they don't even rattle through them all as like in their cells and stuff. They're just presented in a line to... No, I yeah, I, I, I thought they were going to do that. And then um, he... he introduces one character or he meets one character rather and then hamilton yep. has his moment shooting up the the prison yard doesn't he with a 30 cal yeah and and you think oh okay this is different step mm. change from the usual you know tropes and and box ticking that we get with yep. the other two where everyone has to be introduced slow and steady uh build their you know uh their characters uh, we go straight into this scene with with hamilton and it, it's a good introduction. He has a you know a complex story. Uh, he was a uh, living in Paris before the war. Yep. Um, escaped with his his wife, French wife, to to mm-hmm. England. Then he decided to go and join the U.S. Army, and left uh, his wife uh, in London. And then when yep. he came back, uh, his wife was shacked up with an RAF officer, who was racist to him. Uh, yep. And then he he murdered his wife because she laughed. So it's um, like a crime of passion. Yes, crime of passion. Mm. Don't know what happened to the RAF officer. Um, oh. But that's a, that's a, that's an interesting backstory. That's it. That's all we get. Exactly. And then you see him again um, shoot shoot the train up at the end. Yeah, and get and shot. shot, and that's it. That's it. Woeful under you. Like that's what annoys me about the whole movie is somewhere in it there is a decent tale to be told there's a mm. there's a, a, a a fun little fiction world war ii adventure yeah but it's not this movie you know three might not have been the most te- you know the, the most in- engaging but it was still fun at its core this one just is a bit flat and bland uh, yeah i'd agree with that yeah so we should probably get into the main what the mission is all about in this one shouldn't we really because that is convoluted in itself absolutely the nazis in 1943 uh, are planning a contingency operation where they're going to form a Fourth Reich. Um, yes. Outside of Europe, in the Middle East, because that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And they are going to ship off 12 of the best under-25 Nazis that they've got, um, experts in their field, and they're going to pop them onto the Orient Express down to Istanbul, where within the next five 10, 20, however many years it takes, they're going to reform the Fourth Reich. And this becomes Ernest Borgnine, Major General Warden's key problem right now. Not, not the fighting in, in Italy. Yeah. Not preparing for D-Day. We need to, we need to stop. We, we, Rob, we need to stop these 12, yes. 12 Nazis from getting on a train. All of the resources of the, of the Allied powers in the West is now concentrated on taking on Three train coaches. <laughs> and I don't care how much money, men, or, you know, time I waste. It's the most important thing going. There's, there's, there's a number of scenes where they're like, 
no, we can't, we can't send in fighter bombers. We can't do that because we can't guarantee we won't get these 12 gems. And I'm like, does it, does it fucking matter if you get all 12? Exactly. Like Like if you, if you destroy the train, they're not going to get to Istanbul. If you kill 90% of them, that's mission done. Like one of them isn't going to arrive in Istanbul and go fourth right. And if they're going to the Middle East, surely they're going to be opposed. If you rock up there and go, I'm going to create. It's not exactly a hotbed of fascist leaning you know yeah yeah it's a very it's such an odd plot it's like where two and three were a bit commando bookish you know kill kill hitler and remember nazi deadly nerve (laughs) kill hitler um kill you know blow up the nerve gas commando warlord comic type stories this one is it's like bad pulp fiction yeah it's like escape to athena without the budget it is now you say it it's just complete bollocks and why in 1943 would Hitler be thinking, like, you know what we need to do? We need to prepare for like when we lose the war. Yeah. Which is characteristically not something that Hitler probably thought about, you know, a great deal. I need to take 25 of my best men, my best young com- commanders or whatever, and remove them from the theatre of operations that they'll be best served in and move them to somewhere where they're going to be even like useless. Well, this is it. Like what they're the on fuck? standby. They're on standby to get to Munich yeah. to get on the train to Istanbul, right? It's so weird. Why? Why are they going now? It's 1943, and Ennis makes the point where, well, the art, the the German army in, in Stalingrad is at to surrender. Like that isn't a war-ending moment. They don't know that now. No, they don't know. Like yeah, right exactly. then in 1943, they didn't go. Oh shit, we've lost this. Lads. It's like everyone's reading. Let's their- get on that train to Istanbul right now. Their DK World War II book. <laughs> oh, I know what happens next. They weren't thinking in those terms. No, they weren't. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it just—it's. I could. I could forgive it if the plot was interesting. You know. So if they were gonna, I don't know, go and blow up the the brand new Nazi tank that's going to win the war, and there's only one prototype, and you need to blow it up. If it was something like that, you know, or or you know, pick a thousand other more interesting plots for the, for a dirty dozen type mission. But they choose such a weird, convoluted Step one thing. to improve this film, set it in 1945, right? Yes. Make it, canola, make it canon to the rest of the yeah. time. To make to the uh, we'll get, we'll get to how it doesn't even tie in with the other three movies. Um, yeah, exactly. Step one, set it in 1945. Step two, just write a better film. <laughs> because it's, it's, so, it, it's such a mess. The thing is, I just couldn't fathom... The plot was just not interesting enough for me to just care. No. It, it, well, it borrows... there's a bit, right, where the, the Germans go. They're out, we get to see a German briefing. Um, mm. And that was interesting. Yeah, it was. And I quote, this whole story sounds a little incredible, is one of the things that one of the Nazis says. And he's talking <laughs> about the dozen he's attacking us. them. He's the viewer. Yeah, he really is. So he's one of the German dozen that are going to go on the train to Istanbul. Mm. And they're briefed and they're shown a clip of telly in Italy a year later. From the third film. <laughs> Same yeah. 1944, though. Because they go, oh, this was a footage of when he was going to kill Mussolini. And I was like, but hang on, that hasn't happened yet. That's, that's like in another five months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so they're showing it's getting like man in high castle like levels of like wow. Yeah. <laughs> so they're showing a film of Telly during the introduction of Dead Dozen Three, where he's in 
early 1944, I'm assuming Italy to hunt down Mussolini or some such. And that is their introduction. And they, and they go, this officer is forming a, a unit of criminals to, to stop us from saving yeah. the Fourth Reich. And one of the German officers goes, the whole story sounds a little incredible. That should have been the tagline of the film, shouldn't it, should really? It, shouldn't it? Yeah, it should have been. And, and that's, I think, therein lies the rub. It's, it's the plot is just too fantastical, even for a, a franchise that hasn't been embedded in inaccuracy, in historical accuracy. Yeah. We're so far removed from the first movie now that it, it, everything is showing up. I think everything's showing now. Well, they even do the same speech. He does the same speech where it's like, you foul up. I'll shoot yeah. you. You foul up in front of the enemy. You'll, mm. you'll, they'll shoot you and all that. You know, it's, they're quoting little bits from the earlier films. Yeah. I mean, at least Telly doesn't turn around to young Sergeant Holt and ask him, what, does he, what do you think of them? And Sergeant Holt yeah. goes, well, you know, I think the first shoot chance they get, the they'll shoot the major in the back of the head. Yeah. It's, mm. If they if they'd done that, that would have been shoehorned. But they did do the whole get them in a line, give them that speech. Yeah, there's enough in there for it to be a dirty dozen film. At least they're not mm. they're not too far removed from the what what it is at its core. But it, it's just not cohesive enough. No. So I think we should probably talk uh, alley tally for a bit. It's going to be short one. I think it might. It's time for Ali Tally on Fighting on Film. Telly's helmet liner. It has to be said. I knew it. it has to so be said. My, I think my only reasoning is at the time, Telly was quite ill with cancer. Yeah. Or he was getting Sadly. ill from the cancer. Yeah. Um, and I can only think he's wearing the helmet liner because it's more comfortable. It is. It'd be lighter for him, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. But it 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 just looks weird. It doesn't look right, does it? Everyone else no. is wearing helmets, M1 helmets, mm. and then he's he's just got that liner, and the liner is just slightly smaller. It looks like an M1 helmet from a distance, but it's slightly smaller, so it it looks like he's got like a toy hat on. So it just looks a little bit wrong. Mm. And bit... It, the it it's not so bad throughout the film. But on all the posters and all the, the VHS and DVD covers, he's seen wearing this helmet liner. Yes. And it he just it just looks no. Bad. It's not right, is it? It's just too it's too noticeable. Once you see it once, you can never ignore it. That's the problem. He's also got the wrong um oak leaf as well. He's I think he's like a lieutenant colonel. Also interesting uh, little uh, thing I noticed was when they were um when one of the dozen was hanging up Telly's clothes in his wardrobe, um, he has an ETO uh, theatre patch on his um, tanker jacket. Where's he been? Yeah, but I, is is I don't know when did when was did the, the fucking Europe... Diet raid in when did, the, was he? when did the ETO theatre patch become a thing? Because they aren't in Europe yet. It's because he went to Denmark, mate. Yeah, that's it. I mean, to be fair, I'm not an expert on US Army patches and insignia, so that may have been no. a thing as soon as they got to Britain. Everyone had got an ETO patch. I don't know. That's Europe. It is, counts, it is. I guess. I mean, for me this week, you've still got grease guns. I've come back. It's a nice little mm-hmm. touch. Um, I think yeah. it's important. Telly's to... got a, a, the uh, the M1A1 Thompson again, so mm-hmm. the Sergeant Holt. Yep. Uh, it's a nice little distinction there, I think. The Germans have got MG42s, MP40s, K98Ks. Nothing wrong there. All authentic, no. um, but nothing interesting. 
uh, vehicle wise though this this week there's a, a little bit um so there's an m3a1 scout car which you don't often see it's quite nice to see and it had like a massive i don't know what cannon it was but it had like a massive shield in the front of it in the um in the uh prison courtyard where uh ernie hudson goes a bit mad with a 30 cal um they were using the gun to sort of persuade him to come down from oh the, yeah yeah the tower but he didn't come down um so that was nice to see i went on a bit of a of a, a mystery solving um uh uh went down a rabbit hole didn't you a little bit of a rabbit hole listeners will remember in the last um film if, if you've seen it or if you listen to the episode we mentioned the germans were using these tracked truck things they weren't they weren't a half track but they weren't a truck they were like in the middle you know they were like a hybrid mm. um so i did a bit of digging and it's actually they are actually um sepal 800 artillery tractors oh. um so that might not mean anything to anybody but they are of hungarian origin um and they're based off of the soviet um mk2 um artillery tractor when the soviets were bringing in their own equipment there wasn't enough to go around so the hungarians started making their own so there's a nice little nice little tidbit there for for um for artillery truck fans <laughs> Right. You, you can't say you don't get everything on this podcast. Exactly. But they look there. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Quite, they're quite imposing, and they're used, they're used almost like half-tracks, aren't they, in the movie? Yeah, exactly. So they're they like are, the stand-in. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. There's no it, tanks or anything like that. No, there's not, there's no on vehicles or anything like that. Um, but yes, if you didn't know the difference, then they fit in quite well. Uh, everyone's in uh, M56 webbing. Yeah, um, there's M M56 yokes going on, but then there's um, there's a uh, the World War II rifle belts pouches, mm -hmm. but then the belts are M56. Really mm -hmm. small little detail. The the, the resistance members look okay though, because it's yes, hard to do. fuck that up. Civilian clothing and a rifle, it's it's not hard. But yeah, very little in the way of. Ali this week again, which is a shame. There's just not a lot, is there, this week? Uh, as I said, it's authentic enough. Uh, there's nothing glaring, but there's nothing exciting either. I know. Not even a, a not even a Beretta 1938 in there, Rob. No, exactly. You know, not even a. Oh, I just would have a tank. It would have it would have been nice to I see know, something did. different, especially going up against a train. They could have brought a tank up to, you know. Oh, anyway. So yeah, that was the Ali Tally, the last Ali Tally of the year, and it's gone out of a damp squib. I ah. know. What a shame. I know. Anyway, perhaps favourite scenes can redeem us. <laughs> That's a big ask. Hello there. Sorry to interrupt. I wanted to let you know that you can now join our supporting cast over on Patreon. As thanks for your support, you'll be able to help us pick films, submit questions for guests, 
have first pick on brand new and exclusive merch, and much more. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. So, Rob, favourite scene? You bastards, you got in there before me. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, we're rounding off the, the, the quadrilogy. Not many series are lucky enough to get no, four, you know, Rob. Yeah, exactly. It's a mean feat. I didn't get me wrong. Fast and Furious is up to like 33. Yeah, Fast and Furious, yeah. yeah. Um, See, I thought it'd be like Fast and Furious where you'd eventually get round to like, you know, Fast uh, 30 Dozen 5 and it would be really good again. Yeah. yeah you know, kind of how mean... like it goes so far along it becomes okay again. Mm-hmm. But this just didn't do it for me. So mm-hmm. I don't really have a favourite scene from this because uh, I, I found it a bit meandering. It was a bit all over the place. The timeline thing annoyed me from the start. The, the only bit I did like was where Ernie, well, I say I've got a favourite scene, but there's a little bit that I did enjoy, was where Ernie Hudson shares his backstory and shares why he's in the prison. Where he, where he gets to act. Yeah, where he gets to act. The bit yeah. where he gets to act, yeah. The bit where he gets to actually do what he's paid to do mm-hmm. <laughs> on screen. And he's, you know, he's got quite a good rapport with Telly and they build him up and I thought he might become like a sort of, you know, right-hand man figure. And then nothing happens. Yeah. I was just a bit, it's a bit of a shame. He looks good giving it with a 30 cal. I just it does. sort of, it does. I just think it's weird. I don't know, you know, I'm not an expert in his career, but surely in 1989, you've got Ghostbusters 2. So that's surely rap shooting or is, you know, he's shooting at the same time or something. So he's a famous name. So for the movie not to use him enough, it just feels like, oh, we've, just, we've got the name, we've got Ernie Hudson in, that, that'll look good on the poster and that's it. Because Telly at this I point, really yes, don't know. Doing... Yeah, that is a good point. Yeah. I really don't. But he does also have the best scene in the whole film, in in which they're approaching the the Yugoslavian border, or I think it's the maybe. Uh, yeah, I, I, they're approaching a border. Yeah. Uh, in occupied German the territory, Bulgaria or somewhere they're going. Yes, to something like that. Uh, I think you're right there. And um, the they're pretending to be a funeral procession. Oh yeah. Uh, everyone's carrying candles, crying. Um, and there's this German uh, officer on the, on the gate who is adamant that uh, he's going to be the most evil Nazi border guard ever. And he's just horrible. He, he climbs up onto this wagon that the coffin's on. He's like, and what have you got hidden in here? Um, and, and they're like, it's, it's, a, it's my dead husband, etc. He goes, open the coffin. And they go, they all like, just stare at him and he goes well i'll open the coffin then so he pushes off the lid of the coffee coffin and who's in there rob it's hamilton with a grease gun and he lights this german officer up yeah that is pretty cool that is pretty cool yeah it's a good scene and that that opens up one of the better set pieces in this film i think um Mm. there's it's they shoot up this border station nuclear hand grenades are going off everywhere it's just just a a good little set piece i think the wind the wind talkers um, frag grenades, aren't they? They go off. They right are, yes. Bombs. Yeah, yeah. They inherited them from this John film. Woo specials. <laughs> they there's another there's another classic radio room shoot up. Yes, um, that that's a trope. That's a cliche. That's a it is it dirty is. dozen trope at this point. Um, the radio room gets shot up, and then one of the guys tosses in a hand grenade, which absolutely obliterates this radio shack. It goes up like a Christmas tree. It goes up like it's been hit by a tomahawk missile. It's just gone. So obviously Martin Guttridge filled that shack with as much pyrotechnic as he could. Um, yes, he did. Just, just getting that bang for his book. Uh, but yeah, that's my favourite scene. And 
it's probably a, a little bit telling that again it's 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 Ernie Hudson, it's Hamilton. Yeah. Um, in that scene. I really like him. He's good. I just wanted more from the whole film. Yeah. I, and I probably said it a few times now, but it, it just falls flat. I can't recommend it. It's, that's the horrible thing. I, I don't think I can recommend this one. No, whereas Day Dozen 3 was palatable, this is just bizarre. Mm. So we might as well just like dip in and out of this. Um, there's a very good uh, Wikipedia entry for this film, which explains the plot in, in great detail, which is almost yeah. almost better than watching the film, to be honest. Yeah, to be fair, it is, because I had to, I reread it after I'd watched it to fill in some gaps where I was like, what, hang on, huh? <laughs> so there's a subplot they they do the training montage and then they're about to do a training jump out of a plane mm-hmm. all jump out one after another um uh i think it's estrada's character uh d'agostino that has to be pushed mm-hmm. anyway we get to the last chap um whose name i've forgotten and he's up for it he's going to be telly's right hand man on the ground he does a Stanley Baker and absolutely pancakes. Shoot doesn't open. And then Telly smells a rat. So this is where his Kojak senses are tingling. And they look at his shoot and his shoot's been cut, Rob. Bum, bum, bum. Now, these, these boys didn't pack their own shoots because they're not paratroopers. No, exactly. Jump yeah. instructors pack, pack their, their, their shoots for them. This yeah. is explained in the film, by the way. But they didn't check the shoots again. No, no, no. They just no, packed them up. Not. Prisoners, who cares? It's that prisoner who cares mentality. Like, yeah, it is, <laughs> runs yeah. all the way through it. It turns out that there's a mole in the dozen. It goes all Tinker Taylor. There is a mole. God, I wish it had, but it doesn't. You think, okay, this is going to be a bit different. There's going to be a yep. subplot. Ooh. And that chap's death brings in uh, Heather Thomas's character. Mm-hmm. And she's then going to be the language expert on the ground. And she's never used ever. No, really. And they all speak English. There's no overdubbing or or subtitles Mm. or anything like that. Um, Typical, typical TV movie. It's not until about 20 minutes from the end that we finally find out, or Telly finally finds out who the mole is because (laughs) there's a scene. So another another of the classic uh, Dirty Dozen tropes is they bus in some hookers and they let them have a party. It doesn't film unless there's a you know, a, a truck awkward, or a awkward orgy. Um, and, um, you know, ladies of the night. So Telly is in some hookers for the lads. It's really, it's really awkward this time. They're not even in like a building. They're just like outside loitering on a, on a platform. <laughs> it's really With awkward. a train that's still like steamed up. It's the most drab party you can imagine. And we get the same line that's been said by every, every one of these like um, prostitute characters where they go, you're just like our commandos, then. Oh God, yeah, yeah, they do. And then, the, you know, and then the character that they're talking to me, I just go, "Shut up and kiss me," because that's how it feels every time. Yeah, that's it's it, like, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. It's just so played out and boring. It's, it's just, it's oh, just really badly handled. That's the yeah. problem with it. Um. Anyway, so we we pan past Eric Estrada, and he's there looking very pensive and not in, not at all enjoying this wonderful party that Telly's thrown for everybody. No, yeah. Um, What's the matter, Eric? You've barely touched your prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's gone. Matt's gone. 
Oh, excuse <laughs> Such me. A good meme. Anyway. <laughs> no offense to Eric Estrada at all. Meant there. Yeah. yeah. So he's not enjoying the party. Um, so we all know that he's the mole. It's all heavily implied. Yeah. So we forget about that for a bit. They jump into occupied territory. Telly is having to second guess the mole because he still doesn't know who it is. The way this works is Telly, they're on the plane and Telly moves in. This is the first, this is the first gambit mm. he makes. Yes. And Telly goes into the cockpit and says, I don't need to land here. I want you to land there. It gives him another set of coordinates. And they're like, this is mm. highly irregular, sir. I'm going to have to report this when I get back to the airfield. Oh, no. Mm. And he's, and Telly's just like, I don't, I don't, they're all very I don't, I don't give a shit. Just fucking like fly us to this point. Uh, they jump out and it is, it is an ambush. The poor mm. resistance lady, uh, her brother's killed in this ambush. Um, but how, how the mole managed to get them the coordinates of where they were going to land, I don't know, because <laughs> exactly. I'm pretty sure that just a lowly member of the dozen wouldn't be given the map coordinates Probably in not. time to then transmit them to the Nazis. It just feels like there's whole sections of his story just cut out for time or budgetary reasons. I don't even know whether they wrote them. No, like surely if he's going to be this mole, he's going to double cross Telly and the lads, then surely there needs to be a, you know, when they introduce that they know who Wright is at the start, when the Germans go, oh, we know that he's doing this dirty dozen mission. Surely then they go, ah, but don't worry, we have a man on the inside to foil the plot. And it cuts and we know who it is. That old trope of like, oh, we know, but the characters don't know. He's not even mentioned in that briefing. The Nazi briefing. Yeah, it just all comes to a head at the end. You're like, well, what was your motivation then? Is it oh money? Money would money makes the world go around. You know, he's like a mobster. That's going to be his motivation. Is some some cash. Yeah. But I'm like, but that really? whole subplot then ruins like a third of the movie because they're mm, having to move around, they're running around. Yeah, and he's he's leading them somewhere. He's telling them they're going one place and then they go another. So it leaves you the viewer going like, where the hell are they going? It, what is going padded. on here? It, it's like the second. It's like Dirty Dozen Two, where they pad it. Where they're like, oh, we're not where we need to be. We need to be somewhere else. And mm. you just get a, a pad, like these three or four scenes where it just clearly trying happens. to get you to. No, it, yeah, exactly. And no. the film, that's where the film lost During me. During that traveling, nothing happens. Yeah, that is where the film lost me. And I was just like, okay. It's just like, okay. Ugh. So, mm. are you, where are you meeting this train? How do, how do you know that the Germans are on the train? So, yeah, we, it, that, that subplot finally reaches ahead. Um, where the the they board the train, they knock out the German guards, and there's a there's a standoff with the uh, the German dozen, mm-hmm. and somehow uh, further on the, there's a, a Bulgarian squad of infantry that pushes a tanker full of fuel. Yep. In front of the line, they stop. Telly gets out to examine it. Uh. Estrada gets off as well and he's going to kill Telly but uh, with a hand grenade he puts like a hand grenade on the the tanker but (laughs) Telly's already got him covered with a 45 in in a Kojak moment Mm -hmm. Uh, and he confronts him and shoots him and that's it that's the the mole Mm. and when I say he shoots when you say he shoots him he shoots him he he unloads a whole mag into this bloke it's really gratuitous Yeah, um, and then he he does he explains yeah he did it for the money, uh, mm. and then there's a weird bit where Telly gets them to push the tanker out of the way, and then he changes his mind and gets them to pull it back again, and then they attach yeah. it to the train, and then they they they're trying to make 
make off towards the the Aegean to to pick up a, a British submarine. I think they mention. Yeah, there's a submarine um, that knows what they're doing, but they never contact it. No. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, because Ernest Borgnine's having kittens back at HQ because he hasn't heard. <laughs> he's from, just going mad, isn't he? Hasn't heard from Major Wright and the boys. Yeah. And he's he's trying to work out whether he's going to scramble an RAF squadron from Alexandria. Um, she's a heck of a flight, actually. Why yeah. not Malta? Is it, bit, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, that that can take out the train before it reaches. Um, yeah. Some typhoons could have done this Turkey. in two seconds. <laughs> Turkey, because if they open fire on Turk in, on Turkish soil. Oh. Then yeah. that sparks an international incident that Ernest Borgnine does not want to get into. He's got he enough on his plate right now. It's very anticlimactic, isn't it? They clear the train, no problem. A couple exactly. of them get killed, but you don't know who they are anyway, so it's it's okay. No, this is a problem. Like no one has set up enough for me to care. The only bit where you go, oh no, is is when um Hamilton, Ernie Hudson's character gets shot in the arm. Don't kill him. The only one I'm invested in. Yeah. Oh no! The only one we've been introduced to has been shot. Then the uh, the the German Uber do- doesn't um, just sort of capitulate. Mm-hmm. Telly Telly arrives and goes, hand over your weapons, and they go, okay, here you go, Kojak. Yeah. Here's our weapons, and they start dropping Lugers through a hole in a door. <laughs> My God, I know Kojak. <laughs> it's like what the yeah. You know, you're expecting this climax of the film to be like German dozen versus American dozen, and it's going to be a big dozen off. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's going to be, you know, because they make a point of it being twelve German, you know, experts and yeah. and the, the best of the it best. It would have been way better if it was like twelve of the worst German convicts. Set yeah, that against... one. That, there's a do- well, there's a dozen different films. You like what I did that? Yeah. There's a dozen different films we could, yeah. we could you could you could have done other than this one. Um. So yeah, they they surrender and then they kind of become. Um, Major rights hostages, and they they head in towards this submarine, and the super evil German SS general uh, Kurt Richter, who is going to be the next Führer of the Reich, uh, mm-hmm. is chasing them, and he, he decides to put like a, a block across the line, the uh, the railway line, doesn't he? And he puts a load of yes, uh, Opal Blitzers or whatever they are across the, the tracks, yep. and lines up a, a lot of a uh, lot of mortars and machine guns. And then he gives it the whole, don't shoot the car because it's full of German officers it's, only on my command. It's full of our assets. It's full of our best men. And then as soon as the train's within range, he's like, hit it with the mortars, <laughs> open <laughs> fire. Hit it with everything we've train. got. Yeah. And, you know, and then, and then the, he's standing there shooting in the middle. Oh, God, no. Yeah, that bit is so cringe. Oh, There's a bit where God. he pulls his Walter P-38. And have you ever seen one of those swashbuckling films where they put their hand up behind their back when they're fencing? Yeah. Yes. He's there with his hand up in the air and he's shooting at the train with his pistol. Ah, yeah. And then it cuts to a long shot and the train's like 400 yards away, still mm-hmm. driving through um, lorries this, at this point on fire. Telly and the boys are jumping off the train one by one. Yeah. And then he 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 picks up an MP40 and he's there just emptying this MP40 while like m- mouth screaming. You don't hear anything. It's just he's bad. Like, it's like the end of Batan, but not very good. Yes, it is. It, yeah. it's and at that point he would just be firing at the trucks that it, the train is pushing towards him. It's just weird. Not the train. And then we get this almighty explosion, 
which yeah. does look re- does look really good. But yeah, Guthrie is like fire in the hole. <laughs> yeah. Most of Yugoslavia goes up. I felt that one in Zagreb when that went up. And then the credits roll. It's going to be the worst of that niche genre, niche <sighs> subgenre of war movie where it's trains. So you've got like yeah. Northwest Frontier, Von Ryan's Express. The original. Yeah, 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 exactly. Dark of the Sun. Um, yeah, fucking hell, that's a train. Yeah, that's a so the, train there's film. a rich vein of, of war, war train movies. And this is probably yeah. the worst of them. So fair listener, if you didn't quite tell, we didn't enjoy this one very much. Um, oh, and there's then there's a weighty moment at the end with the um, the lady partisan leader. Uh, oh, yes. She's going to go and join Tito's partisans. Uh, Yelena Voskovich, who's played mm-hmm. by Natalia Nugaluch, umming and ahhing about whether she should go and join the partisans or uh, come with, with Major Wright and the boys. And eventually she just decides, no, I'll go and join the partisans. And because we, she's good, actually. She's quite a competent actress. And mm. uh, if she'd been given a little bit more, then I imagine her character would have been a bit, a bit, a little bit better rounded. They just don't do enough with anyone. No, they don't. That's the problem. And it's it's supposed to be a weighty moment, as I said, and it isn't. Mm-hmm. And then we yeah. get a, a, a final shot of uh, the train car on fire with the number four twenty next to a next to a fire that's raging. Four twenty mm. blazer, if you will. It's it's a letdown. The whole 420 thing, by the way, everybody, 2420 uh, was apparently a reference to the uh, carriage in which uh, well, the it. armistice after World War I was signed. And apparently the car that they were going to start the Fourth Reich in was going to be a car from the same uh, train, but the next one along uh, 2420, not 2419 as the one that was used for all the armistices and surrenders. Which is a nice little thing. Someone in the writer's room was thinking, oh, you know what? You know what? Oh, I got an idea. I read this. The other That's day. cool. I'm going to put yeah. this in. Doesn't make any sense, though. Like nothing in this movie does, really. So, I mean, we, I think we've done final thoughts, really. <laughs> and you can sort of tell what we think. Yeah, I have, I have no more thoughts on this. So we've been through this Dirty Dozen Odyssey and we've covered every single film. So where do you think Dirty Dozen as a series, as a franchise, as a movie, what do you think about it now that we finish them all? I think it's probably a good thing that the majority of people don't know that it is actually a franchise. I agree. I think <laughs> I the wouldn't... majority of people think it's a single film, yep. uh, a standalone, and it's a it's a classic of the genre. It's a gritty film. It's a great mm-hmm. movie. Um with a really strong cast, decent writing, good cinematography, interesting premise. Mm. And then successively, the three films that follow it gets sort of... um, It's a sliding scale. Yeah, it is. It is. They get tired, they get overdone, um, and the writing on them isn't imaginative enough to sustain the concept. And I couldn't recommend this one. The last three, uh, I think I said earlier, I could recommend them because they're like cheesy popcorn flick doesn't really matter just watch it and turn your brain off this one just it was too much to forgive <laughs> it's a shame because i think you know as as you mentioned i do think the series 
is important within the genre within the war movie genre yeah. you know you can enjoy it if you're a lee marvin fan you can enjoy it if you're a war movie fan there's more to be enjoyed than just mindless world war ii fiction plot mm-hmm. um but the, you know as the series goes on it just more and more is taken away it's revitalized with telly coming in um and the plot is interesting enough for you to sort of be interested oh it's nerve gas all that's bad yeah and then the yeah. third one it's just like oh no it's telly in now. a half decent performance in this it's not as good as yeah. three no um, but he is ill um years haven't been kind you know his health is failing him he's doing uh, his best yeah yeah um i think really it's a failing of writing and direction on this one isn't it mm. so there we go we've done all dirty dozen films in december like we said yay yeah complete mission complete we get to go mission. home we do yeah we can board that biplane or whatever and we can get off that train we can fly get off. on that plane we can get on that big half track thing from the first movie yeah we can go back to blighty put yeah. our feet up and enjoy christmas <laughs> and we hope uh dear listeners that you'll also have a great christmas holiday season and yes we'll have episodes continuing throughout into january and so much planned for the new year um yes. so it remains for us to say thank you so much for uh supporting our charity effort this this december thank mm-hmm. you for picking up a dirty dozen december t-shirt and they'll be available until probably in the next week or so they'll still be on the website and thank you so much for, for joining us on our Dirty Dozen Odyssey. And um, and thanks for everyone who's listened over the last year, because it means the world to us. And as Matt said, yeah, we've got some ideas and some things on the back burner for next year. And we've got so many great films to cover. Think of how many ones we haven't covered, everyone. I mean, they're still to come. So, patrons, look out for the January Patreon vote. That'll be going live soon. And wherever you are, enjoy Christmas. And we'll catch you again. Merry Christmas, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. We're kicking off during March Madness. Cal's Kentucky Wildcats are in the hunt. So throughout the tournament, I'm going to call up my friend to ask about his wins, losses, and especially what he's telling his players in the locker room. You got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.